Welcome to This Week in Church History. We're grateful you joined us for a wide-ranging conversation about events in the history of the church. Here are our hosts, Dr. Michael McMullen and John Mark Yates. There are three indispensable requirements for a missionary. Number one, patience. Number two, patience. Number three, patience. So spoke James Hudson Taylor, 1832 to 1905, famed missionary to China and founder of the China Inland Mission, today known as the Overseas Missionary Fellowship, who died on the 3rd of June, 1905 in China. One of the leading voices for missionary advance in the 19th century, Taylor was connected with all of the evangelical lights of the day, including Charles Spurgeon and D.L. Moody. For today's conversation about Hudson Taylor, we are excited to welcome back Dr. Michael McMullen. Welcome back, sir. We are glad to have you. Well, thank you. And uh, so before we dive into Taylor, you have to give our listeners an update on your research and writing. How is it going? Uh, it's going really well. Um, I've completed the uh, the book um, on Wilberforce's journals. Um, so it goes to print tomorrow. It will be uh, out uh, on September 10th of this year. Excellent. And uh, and then for the rest of my life, I'll be working on, on a major project to publish uh, all of Wilberforce's diaries. Which is uh, overwhelming because he wrote voluminously. Uh, he wrote a lot, maybe a million words or more. <laughs> uh, so Oxford will uh, print those um, in, in the years to come. That's brilliant. And I am so excited about that project and learning more about Wilberforce from you. So let's turn and talk about our topic today about Hudson Taylor. Uh, there are, uh, as we look back into the 19th century, uh, a handful of men and women who really made a mark, and Taylor has to be included amongst them. Uh, for many of our listeners, maybe they don't know much about Hudson Taylor. What should they know about Taylor, and why is he considered one of the leading evangelical voices of that century? Um, they should know that uh, he's from the county that I'm from. In England, keep finding people from your county, it, it, it's it was a God blessed place. <laughs> uh, the same county that Wilberforce was from, and John Wycliffe was from. Uh, Hudson Taylor was from Yorkshire too, uh, from uh, a town called Barnsley, which um, today I think is is one of the most uh, deprived places in England, mm. probably uh, close to Leeds. Um, but um, Hudson Taylor. Uh, was saved as a, a teenager and, and felt almost immediately um, a call to uh, go as a missionary to China, mm -hmm. something I think that he'd even felt um, as an unsaved child. Well, there's an interesting fa uh, story about his parents actually even praying over him. His dad was a pastor and uh, praying that God would use him in a powerful way. And, and they were even pretty explicit about praying directly for China. Yeah, it seems that, you know, God took that prayer, maybe laid it on their hearts, um, that of his sister too, and and then it became Hudson Taylor's own passion. Mm, which is such an amazing thing. So he has this calling, this sense of going uh, to China. Uh, what happens when he actually has the opportunity to go? 
Well, e even before he goes, you know, he wants to be prepared as possible. He's come from a, a, a relatively um, uh, well-to-do lifestyle. And, and so he begins to divest himself of, of all the kind of luxuries of, of life that he's had, mm -hmm. uh, books and a feather bed, he said. He starts to give them away to, to people who would never be able to have them usually. Um, he, he determines to be uh, prepared as much as possible for the rigors of life in China and, and uh, the hardness of that. And to be prepared to do that, he goes to the hardest place in England at the time, which right. is my hometown, mm -hmm. um, and and has a kind of uh, medical training there in Hull, and and then goes to London uh, for kind of you know formal medical training. So, it you know for me that's a kind of example and an encouragement for people who, even though they have a call from God to do something fairly specific. It, it doesn't, you know, uh, take away the need to uh, be prepared and ready for God to use us in whatever way he might do. And that's certainly what Hudson Taylor would do. As it, exactly right, because even as he's doing his medical studies, he's teaching himself Greek. Yes. Hebrew. Yes. Uh, he's getting Latin in his, uh, in his studies in, in medicine. But He's preparing himself in every single way that he can. He's even studying, studying Mandarin from afar. Uh, there are limits to how much he could actually get in terms of pronunciation and other pieces while he's doing this. But he's wanting to go and be absolutely prepared to take on the field. And yeah, he goes to the, the poorest area in Hull. Um, he preaches. He witnesses. Uh, does evangelism there. Um, he's baptized in Hull. Um, a, a lot of his preparation certainly takes place um, there, which to me also is a kind of wonderful thing. Yeah, the the tie for us, and we see this even with our students here at Midwestern, um, the, the students who prepare now for tomorrow, right? They, they're doing evangelism now, because this is part of their calling, and they will do that on in, in the days to come. They're they're preaching now, uh, even in places that may be a little harder or uh, without much glory, maybe say a nursing home or something. Right. And yet they're doing that because they're preparing for tomorrow. And yes. this is this is exactly what you see with with Taylor. He's seeing this wedding of a true need uh, in China based on things that he had read uh, about medical. Uh, concerns and ways that he could probably bridge a gap culturally through medicine. And yet at the same time, he's preparing rigorously, uh, at least as much as possible, so that he could handle the Word of God well right. and be able to to teach. So he eventually uh, finishes his medical studies. Uh, he gets on board a boat in 1854 uh, and heads right into a civil war. Uh, <laughs> and isn't that the incredible thing? He has this call to go, and he goes. He he's not with an organization, right? Um, he's with God and and following God and and uh, believing that you know God goes before him and and will guide him and guard him and protect him and and use him in the way that he's called him to be and to do. It's uh, again an incredible thing. Um, this is the nineteenth century. He's gonna take a boat to China. Uh, it, it, it's easy to say, but 
boy, everything he was facing as he left to do that. Just un- unbelievable. And, and then to ra- arrive and have absolute cultural chaos uh, that he steps foot into. Yet as he's, as he's there, he begins to preach, uh, and he goes and does what some missionaries who'd been there prior had not done. So many of the missionaries who, who had come to China up to this point stayed within urban environments. And one of the first things that Taylor does is take boats up into the inland. Uh, partly, I think that was to practically right to avoid the, the fighting that's going on in the cities, particularly in Shanghai. But he's also going to a place where he's, people have not heard. And so he's taking the gospel uh, to as many people as he possibly can, even though it's not inconvenient. It's, it's basically inconvenient for him to do yeah, so. Yeah, and, and illegal. <laughs> um, uh, there's an agreement, you know, to stay within the five ports area for Brits. Um, and uh, he's well outside of that very quickly. Uh, he'll, he'll, you know, he's not the first missionary to China, um, but he's one of the first to head inland and go where, you know, the gospel hasn't gone before. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, it's at this point, too, that he begins to realize a key component of cultural engagement on the mission field. So uh, he develops a nickname uh, of the Black Devil uh, because of his uh, riding coat that he would wear everywhere. So, uh, you know, traditional English garb the, at the time, the, the black overcoat with tails. And uh, he has, according to the, the stories, um, he, he has someone approach him and asks him what is the meaning of his coat and the buttons in the middle of his jacket uh, for buttoning up his tails. And uh, it. it shows him that what's happened is he's allowing his Western custom and dress to be a hindrance to the gospel. They're more focused on what he looks like and less on the word. And he does something absolutely radical for that day. Yeah, missionaries uh, were accused often rightly of uh, not just bringing the gospel, but uh, bringing uh, British civilization and, and right. respectability with them. And uh, as you say, you know, Taylor recognized very quickly, um, uh, you know, very differently to what others had seen that the gospel would, would have much freer access to people um, were it not be behind the kind of respectability of being a British gentleman. Mm-hmm. And, and he goes and he, he he ditches his British dress. Yeah, and and you know you you've got to wear uh, a ponytail as part of the Chinese traditional dress at that time. Um, yeah, you have to. You know there was so much involved in how you dressed as a, a Chinese person. So uh, he had to determine what class of person even he mm-hmm. would dress as. Um, and and it you know kind of poor teacher I think is where he he kind of rested on. Um, he he would meet um, another British missionary, one from Scotland, uh, William Burns, uh, fairly soon. He said, you know, William Burns became better than uh, years of seminary education. Of course, mm. not that we would uh, advocate for no seminary education. <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, Burns becomes his uh, spiritual mentor, and they travel uh, through China for about a year, they're on boats, 
Uh, William Burns um, adopts the Chinese dress from Taylor. Um, the, you know, they're, they're learning Chinese together, different dialects and languages, and they travel and encourage and preach and witness. They both get arrested and put into prison. Um, it, it's, um, it's a terrible kind of thing to do, but you can read about um, Burns in, in another of my books. Um, but he, he was a pioneer missionary to China from Scotland. Mm-hmm. And, and has this incredible relationship with Hudson Taylor. And, and so as he's developing, as he's developing these, these cultural methods, uh, many of the, the British missionaries at the time uh, actually castigated um, uh, Taylor as, as a heretic, that how dare you give up on, on these things? And Taylor very quickly would respond that he he would do all things and become all things to all people so that he might win some, uh, quoting the Apostle Paul in, in his letter to the Corinthians. So this is just a, a key part that Taylor said, this, this is an area where we can take on certain things. And he began to eat food uh, along with the people. And uh, while he still stood out as a foreigner, it wasn't as if it was uh, that he somehow were able to slip through uh, everything it just he said it, it began to remove barriers and yeah, then he it, it showed, showed you had a respect yeah. for those that you were amongst and um, that you were not there to impose who you were uh, your country's ideas of what was acceptable but you were there to share the good news about who Jesus was and uh, i think part of the the reason that taylor was frowned on um, was that he didn't have the backing um, or endorsement of an agency. Mm. Let's talk about that for a second, because this is one of the things that's very uh, interesting to me uh, during this time period, is that we have the rise of faith missions. Uh, George Mueller is one of the the key individuals. We've talked about him on our podcast before. Um, Mueller actually even supports Taylor uh, directly. They're, they're at least acquaintances, if not more. And this idea of if God is involved in the work, he will provide for it. And Mueller and Taylor uh, believe that so firmly, they never asked for money. Yes. It's just an assumption that God was going to do what he was going to do. And they had, they never worried about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that takes a great amount of faith. I've known people who've who've lived by that dictum in their own lives um, in in the twentieth into the twenty first century. Mm. Um, you know, it, it, it's an incredible thing if that's um, who you are and what you're able to do. And and I think it shows an incredible uh, understanding of of who God is and how He works through his people often. Right. This, uh, this whole idea of faith missions really begins to define this. When he later speaks at the Niagara conferences in, in the United States or the Keswick conferences that were going on in Britain, the, these conceptions of trusting the Lord with every aspect of your being, your, your health, your finances, your, um, e- even your relationships, uh, that this complete and utter surrender to the Lord, that he's going to do whatever he wants to do for the sake of the furtherance of his kingdom, just revealed such a deeper level of trust than I think many 
people in our own day and time probably would even care to have. It seems scary uh, to have that level of, of trust and faith. Yeah, Taylor talks about the fact that, you know, brother missionaries would be on 10 or 20 times um, the income that he would um, see. And, and yet, through it all, of course, God kept him and his family and, and you know, the agency that he established and, and the hundreds of missionaries then which would arrive in China. Um, it, it, it really is a kind of example of what God can do, but, you know, you've got to feel and, and be, you know, kind of convicted of, of the sense that's how God's going to work through you and right. your agency. Yeah, because it is a different way of, of thinking it through. And it's in the process of that, I mean, he experiences quite a lot of hardship. There, mm-hmm. there are times that he writes and uh, in his journals that he has no money, that he yes. has no food, he has nothing. And uh, what that does is it drives him deeper to prayer, mm-hmm. and then God provides. Yes. Um, it's, it's in this as well that we begin to see his faith life revealed uh, as he loses children, mm-hmm. uh, he, as he loses his first wife, yes. uh, there there are all kinds of aspects of his life story that are just fraught with difficulties, yet he continues just to soldier on, trusting God's providence, trusting God's kindness, trusting that God's plan is going to be worked out. Yeah, we you know, we see him an incredible worker, an incredible missionary um, who gets ill, um, he gets exhausted, he takes uh, a furlough um, after about five years. Mm-hmm. Um, he will, uh, you know, normally you, you will use that furlough for rest. I think he actually uses it for anything but rest. Correct. Uh, traveling and preaching and making known the organization, uh, raising missionaries, uh, going back with them, uh, when he feels the furlough is over, um, and creating an organization uh, to support them and to raise more missionaries. It's not, you know, his organization was not about raising funds, but raising missionaries That's to right. go on the field. Very different approach. Yeah. And it's hundreds of yes, missionaries. Hundreds. Not not just a handful. Yes. It's hundreds of yeah, missionaries. I think, I think within his life, um, we're talking of 800 or so missionaries. Yeah. We're talking of uh, over 100, I think 125 schools are established, um, hundreds of preaching stations, um, and, and this from that kind of faith. Yeah, and, and all of them embrace the same principles and methods right. of just trusting the Lord all the way through. Yes. It, it's just such a fascinating story uh, all the way. Now, uh, if any of our listeners wanted to read a little bit more on Taylor, where would they find stuff? On, yeah, on there's him? A, a multi-volume series by Broomhall, which is the kind of standard um, life. Um, it's it's you know it is extensive, but for somebody who's interested in in learning about Taylor, that's probably the best source. Mm-hmm. Uh, written from you know people who knew him and knew the family and that kind of thing. So. And that might be something that somebody can pick up. There's also some one volume, uh, single volume uh, histories of him that just kind of outline and, and can serve really as a, uh, as a just a taste or an entrance into uh, the story uh, of a man who God used in in quite a, a powerful way. 
if we were to sum up and kind of measure up uh, his life, um, where where would we land with Taylor? Well, I mean, there is one thing which um, has spoken to me a lot about Taylor, and that is, you know, he's buried in China with yeah. his wife. And uh, in the 1960s, um, that place where he was buried was redeveloped for industrial buildings. So the graves were lost. They simply built factories over them. Right over it. And, and you know, so in the eyes of the world, um, you might be nothing and, and uh, who you were, your memory that it, it may try and wipe out. Um, but in what you've achieved, the, the thousands of missionaries who followed Taylor, uh, the millions of conversions mm -hmm. that uh, China uh, saw and that has carried on and the underground church today and everything else. Um, you know, what is the chief for God, of course, is an eternal thing. That's right. And, and later, I think in the in 2016 or something, uh, his grave and that of his wife were rediscovered and uh, the intact and they've since been moved to a church kind of in secret. And, and so God still is you know, in charge and sovereign over his people and that kind of, so it, it does really speak to me. But, uh, you know, Taylor is this incredible example of simply uh, believing and following what God says and, and believing that uh, the one who's called you is faithful. And that's something that is a good word for us today. I'll leave our time today with a, a final quote from Taylor. He said this, all God's giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on God being with them. I hope this is an encouragement for you, listener, and we look forward to joining you next week on This Week in Church History.